Hello, welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. It means so much to all of us here at I Am The Code. I hope you're having a good time and positive month and liking our Rebuilding Inclusion episodes. You know, one of the things I say to people all the time, we have to take care of ourselves. We need to start with ourselves. You matter. You are the most important person on this earth. I always say, I cannot take care of girls across the world if I don't take care of myself. Your strength, your passion, your energy matters. So let's think about that very carefully as we go during this month uh, of January, but also as we go through 2021. I hope you're learning from our guests. I've met so many people in my life because it was meant to be. You know, this synchronicity is so important for us. That's how I met my guest, the father of beautiful girls, the husband of Pele, my hero, the retired American NFL defense end. Super Bowl champion, the one and only Michael Bennett. Michael and I met through a friend of us uh, and he did a test on Ancestry.com to find his origins. And I was so honored when Michael called and asked us to travel to Senegal uh, in West Africa to visit the Gore Island. If you don't know the Gore Island, it's a very small island where the slaves were being transferred from Senegal, from Africa to the United States. It's really deep. Uh, it was an emotional journey. But he's a fighter. He's also a fighter for equal justice for all. I've learned so much from him. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. He talks about race. He talks about the stuff really that matters to him, mental health, and how he's coping as a black man in America. Thank you, and I will see you on the other side. Uh, Michael, sir, how are you? I'm doing good. You know, with all the chaos that's going on in the world, you know, have some peace within yourself. It's the journey now, you know, so it's good to just be, you know, relaxing and trying to figure out what makes the world tick and what makes myself happy. I am so proud to have you on the podcast. Let me tell you why I wanted to have you on the podcast. I think you and I uh, know each other for quite a while now, and I got to meet your amazing wife. And we went to Senegal together in West Africa, my country. You know, I really remember that journey. And you've been always somebody who, uh, you know, speak your mind and really make sure that we understand what is happening out there and how do we make sure that we, we kind of like tell the truth, you know, and stand up for what is right. I, that's what I admire about you. And I've been following your career for quite a while now. And the other thing is just like, you know, you being a black man, looking after your wife and your children, I really admire that. You know, I admire the fact that you love your family and, and you put them first and you look after the girls. It's just beautiful. So welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, you talked about Senegal. It's so crazy because it was so random that we ended up going to Senegal together. It was like from the heavens, you know, it was just like everything was aligned. You know, we it was kind of weird. I'm just telling the story so nobody can, people can know the backstory is that we had a, a particular friend in common and mm -hmm. he introduced us. We started doing, we was talking about doing a project together and then it just so happened that I was doing my DNA, my African ancestry DNA to figure out where, what country my ancestors came from. And it was just so funny that when it came back, it was Senegal and it was like we were already going to Senegal and everything was already aligned. There's always a special moment in my life because I feel like it was like the first time as like a black man, like I actually felt like I belonged somewhere and I had a, a start that my history didn't start in slavery. I think a lot of times, a lot of the culture in America, you know, we 
it's hard to it's hard to survive when you don't have a connection to your ancestors and understand what they've been through and what they experienced. And you know, I, I would say anybody that hasn't done that, you have to go through that journey because yes, yeah, it's a tough journey and it's really spiritual and it's overwhelming. You cry. I mean, I was a big man. <laughs> I was a big man in your arms crying, but it was it was spiritual, you know. You know, I, I was gonna go through it a little bit more in detail, especially with all the work you've been doing around social justice. You know, really speaking up your mind and helping other people to know who they are. How have you been coping with the COVID nineteen? How is the family and the girls? Oh, the family's doing well. You know, I think COVID nineteen was like it's one of those things that you have to be able to, to really get back with your family. I think it forced us to be home with our kids and forced us to be home with our wife. And we really couldn't run away from any problems that we had together or what we were dealing with. It's so well because, you know, in life now, we do so many things. Like you drop your kids off to soccer practice, you're doing all these different things. You got to run here, run there. You never have a moment to just chill. I mean, if you think about a 24-hour day, you sleep for eight of them and you wake up and then your kids are gone. You say, hey, love you. Good morning. Have a great day at school. Did you do your homework? Get dressed, get dressed. And it's an hour. You get home, you get dinner, you have tea. It's like you maybe basically spend three hours a day with your whole family. And it was nice to have extended amount of time to be home with your kids and really get to reconnect on just personality and just connecting in the world. And I think it either made you stronger or it broke you. And I was lucky that it made my family stronger. It's really nice because you have time to brush their hairs and spend time and argue with them and give them a kiss and cuddle. It's so beautiful, you know. I think COVID is a blessing at the same time. It's like it's hard for so many people, especially in the United States. But for busy people like us, it's definitely have made us closer to our children, right? Yes, it does. You know, I it's, it really did. I, and then it also made you have to deal with your own self, too. You know, there's a lot of times you don't have time to look in the mirror. Can You really can't face your issues because you're so busy and you could cover yourself up with makeup. You could cover all these different things up. But at the end of the day, you have to look at yourself and then you realize that you're dealing with a lot of different things. And I think COVID allowed you to either, you know, work on your mental health and really find some stability within your own self to make yourself stronger and really reconnecting with one and really connecting with the earth and really connecting with just being in nature. And I think that is really important into society because I feel like we lost that. I mean, we really get all our connection through technology this day and age. And I think it really starts to build a barrier on ourselves and we start to really judge ourselves on what's happening on social media. And we hold that as a standard of life and not realizing that being present is what connects and makes the future better. And I think that's something that I think that COVID allowed me to do and my family to do too. And congratulations on the on the retirement. I saw that, you know, I was really proud. How are you feeling about it? I saw the news. Oh, man, I thought retirement is interesting, too, because I feel like I'm so young and I'm saying I'm retiring. But really, I'm just, you know, moving on to something different. But at the same time, it's, I thought it was going to be, like, really depressing and all these different things. But I think, you know, I had an opportunity to just, you know, really sit in myself. I think I was preparing myself. I think it was almost like I had already prepared for death kind of thing. And I think in a sense, a part of myself was dying, but another part of myself was being being reborn. That is something that I really have enjoyed is, you know, taking on different activities and taking on different skills and relearning. I think we all have to retrain ourselves. I think 
we all get comfortable in our careers. And I think I got so comfortable within the NFL that it was almost, you almost feel scary to go out into the world because you're like, I'm good here. I don't need to go grow anywhere else. But I think, you know, now that I'm just allowing myself to grow in and knowing that, you know, it's okay to be imperfect. The journey is just to work through and being able to be coachable and different things. So I've enjoyed retirement because it allowed me to be so much more with my family and so much more just to be myself. You know, I've, I've taken this year off, I think. You know, I was reading this book by Beth Kempton and it was it's about Wabi Sabi and, and the things about the imperfection of life. I think sometimes you get caught up in these these sports and these careers and you think that the only way for you to really get you have to have this this pinnacle to make it feel like that you're perfection. But at the end of the day, the really perfection is how you have relationships with your family and the close ties because I feel that if you live for the world and the world doesn't live for you, then truly in real in reality you haven't really fulfilled your purpose. And I think sometimes you know, that weighs heavy on each person's consciousness. And I think for me, I've been able to really fulfill that void of really being present in every single moment and enjoying the time that I have with my family every day. Why do you think that was the best decision you made? Because I, I saw the Instagram post. I was so proud of what you said. You know, the peace, the freedom, spending time with the girls more. I mean, you are just lucky to have a beautiful woman. And, you know, she's not just only your friend, but also she's like also wise. Her, she has her own personality. She's very generous. She helps so many people. Uh, you know, the, all the stuff you've been doing with the Bennett Foundation is just really amazing. So why do you think this was the best thing to do for you? I think it's the best thing to do because I think sometimes you can leave food in the oven too long and then it becomes burnt, right? And it come, you leave a steak on it, the grill too long, it's to dry out and I think that happens within a sport sometimes you stay so long that everything around you starts to dry out and I think you know you start to lose your relationships because you're focusing on this one thing that really doesn't fulfill the true necessities and being a human being and I think you know making that decision allowed me to really be at peace with my own body I think sometimes you push your body too much till it starts to break down and, you know, as an athlete, you never want that to happen. You want to be able to walk away from the game and not the game walk away from you. And I think that's the thing that I was really focusing on and really finding that peace. I think through those four months of COVID in the spring, I had a lot of time to do a lot of soul searching and do a lot of studying on, on philosophies and different things that how I feel about and what I could do for it moving forward. And I think a lot of times, you know, we as individuals who have exceeded a lot of expectations and had a lot of success in our particular category in life or our genre or whatever it is, we just want to stay comfortable in there. And I think the peace comes when you can be in uncomfortable moments and have some growth. And I think for me, walking away from the game is uncomfortable at the same time. It allows me to grow in so many different areas. Absolutely. I mean, it's just really amazing. The other thing I was going to talk to you about as well is the, the foundation, the work you've been doing in helping young people across the United States. You know, our girls are from deprived communities and life is really hard. What was your childhood like? Yeah. I, yeah. You know, my childhood was, uh, my parents got, the, my mom had me at like 17. So you know, obviously I was born to a teen mother and I think there's a lot different and we kind of like our, you know, my parents got divorced and you know how people get when they get divorced to kind of spread apart and the kids get separated. So for an extended long period of time, I was away from my mother and, and, but I had a great stepmother who raised me, but you know, having that connection with your mother is super important. So that was one thing that I felt as a kid that I was always longing for is being able to get that connection back and finding out what, what really happened and how did it happen and why didn't we have that potential relationship 
that we could have. I grew up on the West Coast moving around because my dad was in the military. So we went to all different areas. And so you lived in Washington. I lived in Seattle. I lived in Tacoma. I lived down in um, San Diego. So, I mean, I was lucky because there was so much gang violence and so much um, gun violence in the 90s in California that, you know, my dad just was like, we need to go back to the South. So, you know, growing up in California, I mean, the first time I seen a dead body, I think I had to be like six or seven years old. And the first time I seen somebody get shot. So it was like a lot of different things like that. I think now that sometimes I try to think back and I'm wondering, like, sometimes I'm like, I don't remember exactly how it happened. I just, and so I was wondering, I was telling my wife, I was like, I wonder if you're a child, do you ever just block off moments that happened in your life because they were so traumatic or if they made you feel a certain way? And for me, you know, growing up in California, I think it made me feel a certain way. I think when um, leaving from California, I moved back to Louisiana to live with my grandparents for a little bit. And I think that moment saved my life because, you know, if I'd have stayed in California, I don't know if I'd have had the success that I've had now because of the extreme circumstances. And what would you be forced to do when I went to Louisiana? It had me rooted back in the spirituality of what it was to be uh, not only a black man, but what it is to be a man of God. And I think um, Louisiana kind of saved my life because I went from being a city slicker to being a city guy to the country and everybody coffee city sticker out there you know picking watermelons doing doing all the country work but at the same time those moments really changed my life because it's like that work it gave me gratitude it taught me humility i think it humbled me in a way that it made me a stronger individual it made me have a sense of pride it made me have a sense of principles as an individual as a young man and i think you know having principles and foundation as a young kid it really helps shape you as an adult so i went from louisiana to i moved to texas and texas is where i really started playing football i kind of played football in california but not too much like it was more like flag football and never really tackled as much and I really learned how to play football, football in, in, in Louisiana and kind of playing tackle football with our pads. So when I got to Texas and started living there, that's really when I started really playing football because everybody was playing football in Texas. And that was pretty much the thing to do. And so that was where I really learned how to play football. That's amazing. I mean, I saw on the book, Cornel West said that uh, the book, you know, you are courageous and compassionate. I definitely saw that when we went to Senegal, you know, how how moved and touched you were with your your origins and wanted to know more about Africa. What did the impact has in you after you came back from Senegal? It changed my life. It was one of the single biggest moments ever that I had in my whole life. To me, it was bigger than winning the Super Bowl. It was, I had so much gratitude for the journey that um, I think sometimes as a black man, you grow up, you talk about slavery and you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, it happened. You know, and you know that it was painful. But, you know, to be in Africa and understand that, like, what literally how my grandmother survived on that journey and and made it to america do you remember when you stood up at the, at the door of no return man that was amazing man i was in there i was thinking like man like i was just in there and, and you know in that moment it, it brought a lot it brought so much it was painful but at the same time i was having a, a sense of like i could really feel the spirits in there i was really connected to like i could hear like the echoes and what happened the change the feeling of what it felt like to be in that moment. And I think connecting to Africa and connecting to my ancestors and being shown around and in a way, you know, I was being introduced to people that I never ever met, but these people would shed tears and these people would cry. These people were feeling embracing me because they had understood that a lot of us left and never came back. And I think it was good to run into people who were really happy to see that, you know, somebody was going through that journey. And that journey was a really spiritual one that made me even more prideful. And that's the moment I was like, man, 
I learned about being a griot. And I was like, oh, that's exactly what I am. I'm a griot. You know, I'm a storyteller, historian, or oral history, somebody who can tell different things that were amazing and tremendous. And so I, I just learned so many different things that made me feel like that I had a place beyond slavery, that I had a place that I was a part of a culture. I had customs. And that was just beautiful, you know, and I was so thankful for you all the time, taking the time to really show me and expressing what it felt like. I mean, the food, you know, the sounds of the ocean every night sitting outside the hotel, you know. It was amazing. Yes. So many nights I cried. I was proud personally to, to see you. You know, you come from Africa, you know, that's where you come from. For you to go to Senegal to see where your ancestors, 400 years of bad stuff happening to us, but you went there. And you took the time with your family to come and see where you where you come from. That was like that was such an honor for me. It was like you know I could have done anything to take you. <laughs> it was just like you know it was really beautiful for you to connect with your where you come from. And when you go back to the United States, so you know that you know I am a human being. You know the George, the death of George Floyd really upset me this year. I was so sad, and I said you know these people don't even know where we come from. They don't know our origins. They don't know who we are. So I'm so happy people like Michael Bennett are speaking out, you know. I find it very interesting too, is is, you know, to conceptualize this, but as a kid, like you watch things about Africa and it's like, oh people starving. Like I mean starvation is everywhere in the world and doesn't that doesn't stop in Africa. That's in America. People are starving. It's all over the country and all over the world. And they only show you the best. And you get to Africa, it's all white people vacationing in Africa. And I'm just like, what? They showed us all the bad stuff. They over here got businesses. They got everything over there. And so, and you know, you go into the hotels and there's hotels on the o- ocean. And you're just like, wow, how did I not know this? Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's just a beautiful thing to be out there and see that, like, you you have a culture and everything is existing. Hotels, businesses, malls, everything, you know? I mean, when I got back from Africa, I was wearing my boo-boos that I got custom in Africa all the time. People like, where you get this? So I ended up getting, like, seven because I had three by the hotel that was connected to the mall. And then I also had the one, the ones that we got and got made. And the green one was so the three-piece joint. That was like the one, the best ones. And I used to wear them to the games. And people were like, boy, you look like an African king. I said, because I am. So they loved you so much. And then, you know, what is really funny, they didn't even know who you were. And you were like, they just love you for just being a tall black man. Being in there the day that they was having that conversation, they all got huddled up and it was like, oh, like you had told them where I was coming from, and what I was doing. And it was like they just had like they just were having this big powwow about a conversation about me. And it was like, OK, we'll do it for cheap. You know, it was just like it was really cool. Those was like one of the best experiences I ever had because of the in-depth and the way that you took the time. You know, sometimes you go to places and, and when you don't have somebody who has an understanding of what you try to achieve, you really don't get the sense of connection to the culture of things because a lot of things have cultural barriers. But to be there and to have somebody who's taking the time and be there during Ramadan and to see the amount of people who are, you know, who are following their culture in the way. And it's like, dang, this is my culture and seeing all these different things. It just was an amazing fear. But the most impactful thing was, you know, the day we spent time with the girls in the school. And sometimes I can't even talk about that because it was so spiritual and so powerful that it brings tears to my eyes all the time. When I and do you remember when we went to the, um, the the religious guy who was praying for you? Yeah, and they gave me my name. So my wife always calls me Usman. She always, Usman, come downstairs. Like I was going to ask another question. You know, everything is happening right now in the United States. How do we build the inclusion? How do we rebuild the inclusion? You know, how do we make sure 
we we just include people and and listen to people yeah i think i think there's so much rooted issues in the pain and i think covid had everybody sitting down and had an opportunity to really undress the issues and really see what they are. I think America hasn't reconciled with its spiritual wounds. And I think those wounds are coming back to hunt us in every single way and every single facet, because the history of what what has happened to African-Americans in, in this society has been, it's not even controversial, it's truthful, it's painful. A lot of sincerities within black people who are still connected to that pain. You know, 1960 is not that long ago. You know, 1900s is not that long ago to know that our ancestors experienced some of the most traumatic things on the planet inside of a country that it helped build and that it died for. And America's never reconciled with what it's done. And I think that is one of the biggest issues. And I think when you look at George Floyd, the ability to dehumanize Black men and dehumanize Black bodies across the globe, you know, it doesn't just stop in America. It keeps, it continues around the world. And the dehumanization of when somebody is screaming, the opportunity to say, I'm, I have a daughter, I have a father, I have a mother, is to them trying to bring back the humanity. And I think, you know, it's hard for people, it's hard for America to listen because America doesn't want to say that, that there have been monsters in some sense and some connections to that. And I think, you know, until they can be honest and say, I did do this and I wish that we can go back and we can do, I can redo it, but they won't even acknowledge that, you know, that they've been a part of something that's been traumatic. They don't want to even recognize what they've done wrong to, you know, to African-Americans, you know, and, and I get worried about you. I get worried about my son. And and you've been always vocal about racism and, and police brutality. What can we do more about this? Yeah, it's so hard because it's like black people are so educated about like the police brutality. It's the white people who have don't have the context or can't conceptualize what it's like for, to be a person of color who's experienced traumatic experiences through police. And I think it's a human thing. I think sometimes I feel like police forget that they're human beings. And sometimes when it's like we all we have these different titles in our life that you know, pull us away from our humanity and they put us up on pedestals. Like if you're an athlete, it's like this, you slowly start to get put away from your, your, your being black, you're an athlete. So you have this title. And I think sometimes the police, they aren't connected to the humanity. So they do things that are so inhumane and they look back and like, well, I, I would never do that, but you did do that. You did shoot a man in his head. You did shoot a person seven times and paralyze him. You did do all those things. And I think we as individuals need to be able to change the laws. And I think defunding the police is something that is really on the forefront, but it's also a controversial topic because I think people are really trying to explore what does that mean? Because a lot of people think when you say defund the police, there's no more police. On your book, Things That Makes White People Uncomfortable, on chapter uh, 179, I was reading it, it was so powerful. And you talked about the power of women, you know, your daughter and the power of women. Why do you think you champion women, you are, are kind and, and loving to your daughters and, and to your wife? Do you have any story you can share with us? Why do you think this is happening? Well, I think because if you look at history of Black men, Black women have always stood on the forefront for their men. And I think if you look back in slavery, the women were the ones a lot of time leaving, leading the revolts. They were the ones who were stepping up because, you know, a lot of the fathers were gone. So Black women would always stand up for their children to defend their children. And I think it's important that as a man, you 
reciprocate that type of love. You reciprocate that type of passion. You reciprocate that type of commitment to making a change because women are so important to a society because without women, there is no life. Women are the birth canals to human beings. You know, without a woman, there is no life in existence. So women play a, a pivotal role in just existing. They play the main role. And I think sometimes as men, we overlook the journey of women and we think that women don't experience different things. We think all these different things, but I think the big, the more and more you dig into it, the more and the more you realize that as a man and as a human being, it's important to uplift other human beings and make sure that they can have the proper things that they need to succeed. And I, you watch Kobe Bryant, I think for the moment, these trends go up and down. And for a moment, everybody was a girl there, you know, hashtag. I think the saddest part is that that went away pretty fast. You know, we live in a moment where instant, everything is instant and everybody's trying to be a part of the culture. But truly to be a part of the culture is to just treat your daughters well and to treat your wife in a manner that that your daughters will want to be able to marry a husband or somebody that's like you and i think it's important to see the 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 amount of barriers that women have have to overcome and especially black women in this society and making sure that we as black men stand up for our women to make sure i think as they say i think a lot of philosophers would say that a culture is judged on how society treats its women. And I think if we judging the culture on how the society treats black women, do we know that we are at the bottom of this society because the way that they treat our women is is piss poor. I've seen some of the videos, the the reporting, you've done a lot of stuff for the NFL. You met and you made an impact. So you know how do you forgive to grow? You can physically forgive somebody and on the outside you look like you forgave them, but then there's a spiritual side of your spirit forgiving another spirit that allows you to release, you know, release that energy that's holding back. Because I think there's a lot of different moments that in our individual battles that we fight every day, you know, we have these individual battles within our spirit. And I think those where we don't forgive in those battles, those are only ways to keep our glow from happening. And I think within your own family, I think sometimes we hold these barriers between us about things that happen to us. And I think forgiving is a allows us to grow in so many different ways when you get shot with a gun you have surgery and they heal your flesh and your flesh starts to grow back together and attach itself and then you become whole again and i think forgiveness is when there's holes in your spirit and you have to forgive because forgiveness is like the citrus to uh fill that void in your body that's that void in your spirit that's a whole needs to be reconnected. And I think forgiveness is a part of that. I think that is where we, as human beings, hold so much grudges. We hold so many things in that it starts to stress us out about things that we don't need to be stressed out about. Obviously, there's different barriers that everybody has to go through their own thing. But I think forgiveness is one of the first steps to really moving forward in your life. And I think I have experienced a lot of different things, like even with my mom and working on forgiving her and working through those things in a, in a committed way that it's not just words. It's really about the spirituality of what it was like to move forward and the peace that comes with that. What would you say to the youngest Michael? Don't fear being uncomfortable. That's what I would tell myself, because on the other side lies righteousness. I think a lot of times we fear being uncomfortable because it, it forces us to persevere. But perseverance allows us to have righteousness in a sense. And I think that's what I would tell myself. Don't fear being uncomfortable. Don't fear, you know, not being right. Don't fear not taking that chance. Don't fear any of that. Because at the end of the day, it's through those fears and those falls and those valleys that I learned what the peak feels like. And I think a lot of the times as an individual, 
I would fear those things sometimes. And, and it wasn't until I was in my twenties that the fear started to go away. And I think that's what I would tell myself and the younger people who are listening and older people too. Don't wait too long you know, to be uncomfortable because that's those uncomfortable moments are really the moments that we need to grow. It's like, we can't have this conversation about race because people are uncomfortable. You gotta be uncomfortable because what my ancestors went through, I'm sure it was uncomfortable to be in handcuffs and chains. I'm sure it was uncomfortable to be pulled away from your family. I'm sure it's uncomfortable to realize that your skin is really the enemy of the state. So don't tell me that you're scared to be uncomfortable to have these realistic conversations when we know that being uncomfortable is where we grow. So what is next now? I heard you're going to try stuff around movies and and, <laughs> and producing some stuff. I heard that. So <laughs> I got a show coming out on HBO. It's, it's going to be an anthology show, different episodes kind of. Really excited about that. Working on a documentary. Hopefully I could do some things with you. But yeah, I think producing it and having some true content about what's happening in our society and having some truth tellers, like I said, the history of being a griot, you know, that's a part of our culture. And I think having that ability to be that truth teller and tell through music, tell through, you know, stories, through books, is just another medium to speak truth that I think is important. I taught at the uh, University of Hawaii um, history and, and political science on sports and history and kind of doing that with... Um, some other things, working on something with Howard right now. Yeah, so I got a lot of things, uh, things that I've been working on. And Athletes for Impact, we've been doing a lot of different things with that and working with athletes around the world, especially when it was around voting time and really put together a lot of programs and, and really working on my skills in that way and finding ways to use sport in a way that to really break barriers. I think sometimes with sports, we aren't really breaking barriers. We're just a part of the trend. But I think we can't be a part of the moment in sports. we got to be a part of the movement. And I think that's an important procedure. Are you excited about Kamala Harris? Oh, yeah, I'm excited about Kamala Harris because I think Kamala Harris allows us to see black people have a voice and black women are really strong. To think that the black woman was the first woman in the, the White House is an amazing feat. And it shows that we have been breaking barriers regardless of our circumstances. You know, everybody feels like they're a part of her because we all know the journey of black women and what they experience as being the crooks and the nannies and being the, you know, the caretakers of, of white America. I believe America itself has grown up the bosom of black women from feeding their children to working in their fields. So to see a black woman in, in the White House, it just allows you to think like, wow, that's it's tremendous. It brings tears, I think. And I think sometimes, you know, even when you think about this, like there's still like a gender gap, right? Because when You know, Barack Obama was in the office, no matter what, everybody was crying because, you know, they see a man as being higher in some sense. But I didn't see the same tears for Kamala Harris. You know what I'm saying? It was like a different barrier. So I think we still have a long way to go with black women. It's like we we still were judging. Oh, well, what about this? What about that? But with Barack Obama, we gave him every excuse to outlive his past. The book is really amazing, by the way. And I've been sharing it with my girls in Africa. It's called Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. Can you just tell me one or two things that makes white people uncomfortable? I think a lot of times white people get uncomfortable with the idea that they have been able to have privilege. I think they don't want to re reconcile with that privilege has allowed them to achieve certain things in life. Also, too, that blackness, history of blackness and what we've done makes them uncomfortable because we've been able to survive within extreme circumstances. And and I think that's something that makes them uncomfortable. I think, um, I believe Martin Luther King said it, I think a lot of times, a lot of white people aren't racist, but a, a lot of white people value order 
over justice. And I think we have to really recalibrate that. We have to we have to recalibrate that and value justice because if we value justice, then order will always be, you know, obtained. So I think that's something that makes white people uncomfortable. The other thing I was going to ask you as well is that I know you, in, in the book, you really talked about PTSD and mental health. Are you going to be helping people around that while you're doing all of the sport and all of the, some new initiative you're taking on? What I've been doing now is kind of studying and kind of going and kind of rethinking my plan and what is like, what, how can I truly make an impact? I think when I was playing, I was a part of a lot of moments, a lot of big moments that just happened, other just connection you know and now it's kind of like what can i do to rethink those things and how can i make an impact in a way that is something doesn't have to be original but in a way that i really thought about it and really can make it have an impact within my particular sports and i think dealing with those issues in mental health and also dealing with the issues that are within our own sports and the barriers created for black people within the nfl or basketball major league baseball you know We've been focused a lot on what's happening in society, but we haven't been focused on what's happening in-house. And I think there's a lot of ability to change those things and they could be a reflection of what's happening in society. Do you think that, you know, we need to invest more into mental health for in the Black community? I think we need to invest. It doesn't always have to be with a psychiatrist. I think mental health can be more investment in gardens, more investment in parks, more investment in art more investing in things like that to help people release the mental, the endorphins in their brains and have them have a sense of, you know, stimulation that allows them to be feel free. I think a lot of times we focus on like, oh, get them into a counselor. They, but like, if we are able to let people feel, you know, the freedoms of planting a tree, the freedoms of raising a, a plant. You know, I've done projects working in youth detention centers where we've done gardens and, you know, to see what kids have done with their brains when they touch the garden and you know, see what they do with you when you're just giving them technology or you see the seed program or giving basketball. All those things are mental releases. And I think investing in more things like that is important not just having, oh, get more psychiatrists, but even the ability to get the art out. Just things like that, I think that are important. My last question, have you found your purpose, do you think? I think I'm still searching for that. I think I think I know what my purpose is, but I also think I've taken this time off to really rethink that purpose and find, really dig deep into who I am and what I am and how can I really make impact on life is something that I'm still working on now because I know that I've made impacts and told me in different ways, but to really take time to really know oneself, to really know one's thoughts, is where I think the true purpose comes from. Because I think a lot of times, like I said, we get attached to different things and we just, and we absorb those things and those things become us. But how often do we have the time to really do it the in, in the reverse order? And I think that's what I'm trying to do is to, besides the purpose of family and the purpose to commitment to community, what is the other impact? You know, what can I do? Is it architecture? Is it teaching? There's so many different ways to make an impact and purpose. You could be a good teacher. Maybe in Africa. I could be a great teacher, and I think I have the ability to be gentle with my students and the ability to have a connection. I noticed in the classes, the courses that I was teaching at University of Hawaii, it was nice because I think that the kids really were connecting to my ability to, you know, put together uh, presentations and my ability to, to connect with them through experience. I think a lot of times people want to connect to their peers and want to connect to the, the teachers through the ones who experience something, because a lot of times it's hard for kids to have an understanding of people who haven't experienced something. And I think that is important to the intellectual growth for them because they want to also feel it. They want to feel the spirit of that. 
what you spill, what's your traditions. And I think I, I could be good in that area too. But I've always loved design though. You know, I've loved design. I love fabrics. I love all those things. I would love to make an impact in there, you know, be a purpose to repurpose things and turn them into, you know, something that I would use. I don't know. So it's a lot of different things. I'm just taking time right now to just chill and, and really get to know and just it's the first time in my life that I haven't been so busy, you know. I was telling my wife it was the first time that I had my birthday and not play a game. So it's good to just, I'm glad that I've taken this time to, because I've already jumped into something really fast, then I feel like I would I would be more stressed than I am right now. But the ability to be like, okay, today I just want to do this and just focus on this is important to me, I think. Michael Bennett, it was so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I think that... We, have, we would always share like this experience that we can't even really put it to words because, you know, I, it wasn't a lot of people. It was just me, you and Pella. And I think that's an experience that we can really share with everybody and we can try to say it in words. But it's just so I'm so thankful to be on the podcast because, you know, I'm so thankful for you taking the time out and, and taking it and showing me and really being like, come on, you got to go. So I, I enjoy that. So thank you for having me on the podcast and thank you for making an impact in my life and the impact that you make around the world for girls around the world is important. I think there's not a lot of people who are willing to do the things that you're doing and what you have done and go to these different places and say what you're saying and stand up on your merit and be powerful. And I think less people understand that, you know, there are people out here fighting for every single day and the equality of young girls around this world and what the girls are suffering from, the ability of just being themselves and having the ability to be free and have this consciousness and have the ability to learn education and be able to build their own families. And I think that's an important thing that you are doing. And an opportunity that I had to be in Senegal, it gave me first hands. You know, when I heard a young girl said, you know, I just want to be a police officer so people don't get raped anymore. To me, that would always change my life because I know that there's young kids who are out there who are going to be better for the future and better for the world because they know what's happening in the present. Our Senegal trip was really inspiring. I remember so vividly what Michael did in Gore Island. I was so honored to be part of it. You know, I was watching him watch the door of no return. If you don't know what the door of no return is, please Google it. It is at the house of slaves in the Gore Island in Senegal, my country. Millions of people have been transferred from Senegal to the United States. People who lost their identity, their pride, their dignity. His pilgrimage and the emotions around it will stay with me forever. Slavery existed in my country, Senegal. We know it very well. We have to do better as a society. We have to do better as a world. It is our duty to do better. We can do better. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. Thank you so much for being here. Remember to subscribe and follow us. We are a small team dedicated to making the world a better place by creating content for people who want to do better. And I will see you very soon. Thank you and goodbye.